Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Truth, Lies, Shenanigans podcast. Social commentary, hot topics, amazing guests, with a ton of fun and shenanigans along the way. Today, we're joined by Giselle Taraba, co-host of the Love and Compassion with Giselle podcast. She's here to share her transformative journey of self-love and healing. Plus, we've got some sizzling hot topics. A white dad tests his biracial son for paternity because he doesn't look white enough. Then are you ready to have tiny little robots inside you doing medical procedures? And if we have time, we'll talk about that Titan sub-tragedy, wondering if we should even care. <laughs> First of all, I want to thank our audience for tuning in to our new day and time, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch TV, and truthlieshenanigans.com. But we'll be checking your comments on YouTube and Facebook just search TLS Live Show. Also, keep an eye out for our official audio podcast Fridays now on Apple Podcasts, Pods Network, PODZnetwork.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Let me introduce you to my beautiful co-hosts. First up, we have our gamer, nature lover, rock star, coming to you from Ontario, Canada, Robbie Rock. <laughs> Hello, my friends. Happy humpity yeah. hump day. So it's humpity been an interesting week here. Yeah, we got our first real taste of the forest fire smoke in our region mm. for about four days. The first Ooh. taste. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Lucky you. <laughs> the rest of us been getting it. We got a little yeah. bit of the smell previously, but we got a real dose of uh, smoke. So, I mean, if you opened a window or stepped outside, it was hazy. It was just an acrid scent of smoke and mm. soot in the air. It was heavy to breathe. Um, I know that we, we did go paddling on the water Saturday morning, but the air quality really helped us decide to stay in for the rest of the weekend. And it was a good reason Man. to stay in. And we watched the first episode of Secret Invasion on Disney Plus. So, as in, <laughs> nice. It's, it's a really <laughs> ambitious story good? for them to tell. I heard it wasn't yeah, good. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I've enjoyed the first two episodes. I mean, okay. a lot of people, I mean, there's always fanboys that are going to tear everything apart. I tune in with no expectation because I recognize yeah. that Secret Invasion from Marvel is a very ambitious, large-scale story to tell, but they only have a limited budget with so many. So it's not going to be the full thing. Okay. I'm curious to see what they're going to do. Okay. All right. Next up, we have our college student, model business owner, streaming from Atlanta, Georgia, Gianni Storm. Hey guys, I've missed you. I'm actually looking forward to my birthday, which is in a couple of weeks. Oh, I believe right. my birthday is July 7th. Yes. You believe. So, <laughs> Wait a Most people know their birthday. Like, oh, it's right. It's going to be two days, three days. You tell us <laughs> maybe a couple of weeks paper, from now. I don't know. paper says July 7th. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. says it on the calendar. <laughs> and my wife's birthday is the no, second. So right behind. Oh, yes. I remember she's a fellow cancer. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to my birthday. I'm going out to this arts event and I don't think we have a show on that week as well. So no. We're so we're going to say we're going to say happy no. birthday to you right now. <laughs> happy <Yay>! birthday, Gianni. <laughs> That's right. We don't have a show next oh. week. So happy birthday, Gianni. Thank you. So how old will you be? You'll be you what? Age. You'll be like I knew you were gonna ask. You'll be like sixteen, <laughs> seventeen. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't ask that to a woman. Once you hit after twenty, I think it's after twenty-five. Then you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to spill your. Oh, age, is that the age? Okay, now I know. Oh, okay. really? <laughs> oh, now I know. <laughs> I'm twenty-two. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Again, well done. <laughs> I have a standard line for that, Johnny, because I've had women, I've had people do that. I recently yeah. had an uncle where it was their birthday and 
celebrating. I said, oh, how old are you? I said, wow, I'm 69. I said, oh, my God. I said, for 69, you look horrible. He's like, well, no, no, I'm 76. I said, for 76, you look great. But for 69, you look yeah. awful. <laughs> that's messed up, man. So rude. That's a messed up. I know. That does sound like Rob Vila. <laughs> Too honest. It does. Let me burst your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Of course, I am your host, Neo Nix. So quick question for you guys. Have you guys experienced lucid dreaming? Absolutely. You know, when you're in the middle of a oh dream God, and suddenly you become like aware of it. Terrifying. Yep. Yes. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. terrifying. Yes. When you're able to control your dreams, that's terrifying. No. Oh, wait. Aware. Is lucid dreaming? Lucid dreaming is when you become aware of it. You're, you're thinking oh, of what okay, is it? I no. think I forget what it's called when you're like, um, when you wake oh, up and you can't I'm move, like paralyzed, which is sleep. Yeah, yeah, you paralyzed. Oh, paralysis. Yeah. Sleep paralysis. Yeah, paralysis. No, no, I'm talking about okay. lucid no, dreaming. dreaming. Yeah, so okay. I do it. I actually do it a lot. I noticed I was. I do it very often. So like I'll be wow. in the middle of a dream and I'm like, oh, I'm in a dream, and then I just like take off flying somewhere or I'll you know, yeah, do my go to. I, I just do whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's freaking awesome. I've I mean, never you could, done that. Or you can, or I start just like investigating the area or wherever I'm going, or start talking to whoever I want to. It's like it's like living in like a whole different world. But then mm-hmm. I, I was so yeah. I happened so often. I started to look it up because I was like, I really wanted like induce it. So I've actually gotten really good at it. Yeah. I like I can do it like about twice a week now. Like oh wow. If, it's really, really it's really awesome it's just my, to be able to my son to had invested a lot of time into learning lucid dreaming techniques. It's it's awesome. He stopped he stopped doing it after a while because he found that there was just that disassociation where he found that he was having a little bit of difficulty discerning. Between, really? I can see that. Is this I a lucid not... dream or is this oh, real? Scary. I can see that. And just at the time in his life, that's, yeah, because I was in his team. I mean, there's a lot going on. At oh wow! Yeah, I yeah. know. I know when I'm yeah. in the dreams, I have to ask myself several times just to make sure because I don't want to do anything stupid like jump off a cliff and it's like real life. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, oh it's, you try levitation first, <laughs> so, and it works. Right. You know, you, you know. <laughs> so I got to make sure. <laughs> so, That's insane, and, and it You'll seems so real sometimes. Feel. It's just pretty awesome. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Disney. It, it's it's a lot. It's it's one. Of, it's great. Anyway. That's amazing that you, you can do it with such. They frequency. say like in a dream, you're not supposed to ask people in the dream what time it is, not or really? something, or they'll like no, actually, you. That's one of the, one or of the things like is that. like <laughs> one of the things in dreams. One of the Rob. ways you can know that you're in a dream is try to read something. Apparently, you can't okay. read. Oh. You can't read in dreams. Oh wow! Yeah, because I, I looked that up. That's part of my investigation of lucid dreaming. So that one of the ways you that. can find you can tell if you're in a dream or not. You like just look to see if you're dreaming. I mean, if you can read something, yeah. right. you can comprehend words, but you can't like read them. Right. Okay. Well, you can know that there are words on a thing, but you can't, you don't know what they are, right? You can't hmm. actually okay. be able to read it. I see. All right. All Very right. Let's go ahead and get into our show. We've got a fantastic guest today, so let's go ahead and bring her in. Hey, Giselle, how are you? Welcome. All right. I'm so great. I'm so great. I love it. I loved your conversation about lucid dreaming. Oh, yeah. I bet you know a lot about that, actually. <laughs> well, actually, my husband and my daughter, like, are good about lucid dreaming. They can manipulate their dreams as well. It's awesome. It's I an amazing have, feeling. I've gotten to the stage where I'm a, I can be aware that I am asleep. I'm like, I think I'm asleep. But then I kind of yeah. s- still stick to the script. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can literally, like, change what I'm doing. It's amazing. Anyway. So today yep. we're thrilled to welcome Giselle Taraba. Did I say that correctly, Taraba? Yes, Taraba. Oh, I said it perfect. perfect. All right, great. So she's a dynamic force, dual masters in epidemiology and social work, devoted mother, guiding light in the realm of mindfulness and self-compassion. She's a co-owner of the Matri Center for Love and Compassion and the host of the Love and Compassion with Giselle podcast. And let me tell you, she is transforming lives. She's also the author of the groundbreaking book, Reimagining Work, which challenges us to redefine our relationship with work. So thank you so much, Giselle, for joining us. We appreciate you. 
Thank you, Giselle. Thank you so, so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So first question we always have to ask is, can you tell us something, anything that if our audience heard your name, they went on Google and said, who is this a Giselle Taraba? What is something yes. that they could not find out about you? <laughs> um, one of the things is that I'm uh, a left-handed mirror writer. So when I was a kid, I used to write backwards. They had a hard time teaching me to write what? the other way and I actually had to learn. And so it That's was, I, and I can still read it too. I can still read it. So and you can you I, write backwards with your left hand? Yes. A so mirror, you write, write a mirror version with your left yes. hand. With your mirror up, you would have seen it, the flip. And so, but the, um, so I grew up in, in Peru. Okay. And the, in, in a, I guess we had a nice. school that was full of nuns and the nuns thought that I was possessed. <laughs> <laughs> parents take me to a psychologist. psychologist. So they thought you were possessed, <laughs> huh? Yeah, but they, talent. And so I had to learn to write on the flip, but I can still do it. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. That's, that's, that's a quite really a talent. Thing. That feels like a talent or a gift or something. I know. <laughs> you could probably do code. You, 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 <laughs> do code to your friends and just start writing stuff. And, you know, write but, notes in I mean, school. <laughs> Catholic <laughs> nun way. They had a hard time reading it, right? Like they had a hard time reading well, it. They had to put they it in for them to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I, I was reading about how self love and self compassion helped you overcome some pretty tough stuff in your life, like anxiety, panic attacks, even some childhood trauma. Can you share a little more about that and how it's kind of shaped the way you teach mindfulness and self compassion? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so growing up, both my parents had experienced different levels of childhood adversity. My mom had a really horrible childhood. And so she was a traumatized person parenting children. And so what you do is you actually, sometimes when a person is traumatized, they will teach their kids the survival tools of people that are traumatized. Mm. And so growing up, I didn't know that it wasn't uh, normal not to trust and to be full of anxiety and have full, be full of negative thinking and always worry that the other shoe was going to fall. And so I had all of these yeah. things and they impacted all these different areas of my life. And in fact, one of my dreams really was to go into child welfare to help people like my mom and her mom. But the truth of the matter is, I was suffering. I didn't realize how closed off I had been. I was suffering from anxiety, studied, developed panic attacks, which I didn't know what they were. So the first time I thought I was having a heart attack. And Ooh. that's pretty scary. When you Yo, know, that is hospital. scary. Like, Do you have anxiety? And I'm like, what's that? I have heart issues, too. And one of the things they asked me, first things they asked me, are you having a panic attack? Are you having anxiety attack? Because they say the symptoms are so similar. Wow. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So my parents didn't really talk about mental health because they're Latinos. You didn't tell people your business. You didn't go to therapy. You didn't do all these things. Mm. And so I did start obviously going to therapy when I realized I needed to change. And I found, actually, I started by reprogramming my brain. All of the negative messaging that I had received as a child, and it wasn't on purpose. My parents did the best they could. They really did. Right. Of course. We all doing this with the understanding, knowledge, and awareness that they had, right? They love the best, but you can't give to others what you don't have for me. And so I had to reprogram my brain to think positively. Mm. So I would listen to people like Louise Hay on loop. Like she would always tell you, you know, like, yeah, so everything's going to be okay. The world is a safe place. And then over time, I realized I had to do it for myself. Because as long as I found peace outside of myself, like if I needed reassurance from Louise or from my husband or someone else, I was still getting it externally. And if Mm. it wasn't there, I couldn't regulate. Mm. And so that's how I found meditation and mindfulness. And that was really, really helpful. It has helped me to no end. I didn't realize that you could actually find the space between thoughts. Who could have? So wow. you know, thoughts come to past. Yes. When you're able to get to the point where there's actually a space between thoughts. And that is super powerful. And wow. I just got to tell you, when I first started meditating, it felt gritty. It felt gross. I couldn't even do five minutes. 
Really? But by showing up and showing up and showing up for myself, making that choice every single day, and day something happens. I don't know how it happens. It's like on the end day, it's like when you're working out, right? At uh-huh. first, it's like kind of a pain. Uh-huh. And then later on, you're like, okay, I'm in stride. Interesting. Because yeah. just to jump in real quick. So my wife is really big on the mindfulness and the meditation. And she keeps nice. trying to get me yeah. to do it and telling me that, oh, it will help you so much and help me get centered. And, and I'm yeah. sure it would. But if I'm being honest, every time I've tried it, I'm like, uh, that's just not for me. It's just... Uh, it's kind of silly to me. I'm just being honest. This is my honest feelings. Yeah. <laughs> because it's bored and awkward. It, right. That's it's, why, it, dude. Yeah. And it's so different. It's but, different to you. But it's sort of like you said, I guess maybe I need a few times to kind of turn on that switch or something. I don't know. Exactly. And it doesn't, but people have this belief that mindfulness meditation has to be you sitting on a cushion and sitting and doing that. But many times we are actually mindfully doing things. If you do something you love, you are fully in the present moment. You are That's mindfully true. doing So when people That's do art, they are true. practicing mindfulness. Okay. When you're doing something you truly love, when you're in the zone, when you're doing something, it, so it doesn't always have to be, like people think it has to be hard work. It's not. Mm. The hard not. work is meeting yourself. It's that yeah. really, and that mm-hmm. was the thing. So in the process of me doing mindfulness and meditation, I met myself. Okay. And I met a lot of the limiting beliefs I had about myself. Okay. One of the things I love to talk about is manifesting, right? And everybody, like tic- yeah. all over TikTok, people manifest. But the thing people don't talk about is when manifesting is easy for the things you don't have limiting beliefs about, right? So yes. I could easily, yes. you know, be a, a white horse or, you know, get something, extra tickets. But when you have limiting beliefs about your abundance, about your health, about your relationship, manifesting can feel challenging because underneath there are some limiting beliefs. And then you will, yeah. you know, people say, you got to live from the wish fulfilled, right? You have to believe that you're receiving right. it and live from that place. And then so you will have it. And it's true. I have done it. It's, that's very true. The problem becomes when you have limiting beliefs about stuff, and you're like, why isn't it working for me? What's wrong with for me? me? Right. And so for me, when I started to um, start to dig a little bit deeper as I was going into meditation and meeting myself, mm-hmm. I realized I had a lot of beliefs about my lack of self-worth, about my lack mm-hmm. of self-love, about my worthiness in being able to live my dreams. And until I faced those fears and until I faced those beliefs, it wasn't going to change for me. I wasn't going to be able to do that manifestation for the really thing, for the big things that I had limiting beliefs about. And mm-hmm. so it became about how do I talk to myself every day? When I think mm-hmm. about the thoughts I used to think about, I would have never said some of the things I said to myself that I would say to any of you guys. Mm-hmm. Right. I would have, mm-hmm. I would have been like, you guys do it. I believe in you. I love you guys. You guys are the best. Doesn't matter what happened. But to myself, why is that? Out of, out of curiosity, why is yeah. that? Why, why did you question. not? I know I have people around me that struggle with that, with feeling positive, mm-hmm. self-worth. And, you know, I've always, Negative I don't know. Self-talk. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I love myself, right? I, there was a long time ago where I, I realized that, <laughs> no, seriously, I realized that I do love myself and who I am. And I don't know. I never really struggled with self-worth. I felt like I was worthy. And it's sometimes, but the thing is, sometimes it's hard for me to understand where people are coming from when they don't feel it. So I'm curious, you know, what was it for you? What made you feel that way? And then where did you come out of that? Mm -hmm. This is a fantastic question. Um, So a lot of the times when you are raised with people that are very fearful, have mm-hmm. trauma themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to cope. They don't know how to emotionally regulate. Mm-hmm. They need you to be perfect so that they can regulate. Okay. So often when people, parents tell you, stop it, don't cry, you need to put it together. What they're saying to you is, I need you to regulate yourself first so that I could be okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas it should be the other way. A parent regulates their own emotion first and then they're like, okay, how can I hold space for your difficult feelings mm-hmm. and teach you how to regulate mm-hmm. So what okay. happens with young kids, what happens with young kids though, is like when the parent doesn't realize that and they're traumatized and then they're sometimes not able to offer you the same level of love or compassion or kindness or attention, 
kids internalize yeah. it because they don't understand, oh, my mom had trauma mm-hmm. or, you know, my yes. mom, doesn't, she's afraid. Yes. They don't realize that. So yeah. the only thing they know is it must be me yeah. because that's the only thing. Yeah. That, because they're very self-focused. Mm-hmm. They're like, it must be me. Mm-hmm. That's true. That I must not be worthy of love and, com- and compassion. I must not be worthy okay. of attention. I must not be yeah. worthy to receive. It's like, let's say if your parents were poor, you were thinking, oh, maybe I didn't get that bike because I wasn't worthy to receive rather mm-hmm. than if your parents aren't honest about their lack of abundance, right? And mm-hmm. they want to keep you protected, but you didn't get that bike from Santa, right? I wasn't right. worthy to receive. Interesting. And so you start to internalize this message about your own worthiness. And so a lot of the self-compassion, self-love work is, first of all, about self-soothing. Some people who were traumatized during childhood by their parents and their parents and so on mm-hmm. and so forth mm-hmm. don't know how to regulate their emotions. And in mm-hmm. fact, we are right now in a pandemic of a lack of emotional regulation. That's why people cancel yes. each other out because they cannot deal with the difficult feelings of somebody saying something that might be triggering for them. Yeah. And so yes. it's about us being able to hold space for ourselves and hold ourselves with kindness and love and meeting our own needs first, first. and then being able to get curious about mm-hmm. the other person, mm-hmm. then being able to yeah. go, okay, I'm going to lean in and try to mm-hmm. understand this perspective. But first I have to deal with my own feelings of shame, guilt, all of that. Yeah. And so that's mm-hmm. where... People don't know how to do that. And so from then they internalize those feelings. And so I had to meet myself and meet those feelings, which sometimes felt super overwhelming and scary. Yeah. Right. Because you're like, am I even worthy to be alive? Makes sense. And so it really is about how can I care for this being right here? And one of the best things that I had to learn over time, and this took a while for me, although it doesn't have to take a while for people, is I'm worthy of love even if I don't do anything to earn it. I'm worthy of love just because Mm. I exist. I don't have to have a successful podcast. I don't have to help save the world. I don't have to do anything. I am inherently worthy and lovable. And so I really have to kind of sit with that and say, I don't have to earn my own love and compassion. If anybody's going to have to give it to me for free, it's me. (laughs) So you feel that way. So so you've grown into that. And that's how you feel now is that you are worthy. So Rob, you you had a question? Yeah. I was just wondering, I want to segue into your, uh, the Baytree Center, into your organization, because I love what you're you're sharing about your personal transformation and your journey. And I was wondering if you could give us some insight into the organization, what it's about, and how it supports individuals in their personal growth and transformation. Nice. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for asking that question. So basically, I started My Tree Center because, well, number one, I hadn't seen another compassion center in Canada. I've never heard um, of it. And the other, Anything like most it. Most of them are in the, in the U.S. Most of them are U.S. There's some in the U.K. And so I was following a lot of the compassion work. I, at the time, was trying to introduce compassion into child welfare okay. in terms of how things are done. How can we still lean in with people without judgment, without saying, you're a bad parent, you're blah, blah, blah. Because right. I noticed that the kids, they wanted to love their parents regardless of how they had treated them. And yes. some people in child welfare judged that as dumb when really they were just being unconditionally loving. But how yes. can we do that safely, right? Right. And so I was right. trying to incorporate into child welfare, not being very successful at the, because there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of duality in child welfare and systems that we currently have. It's like right or wrong, good, bad. And so I wanted to live in the gray. I wanted to be, okay, how can I still lean in, love, witness, and still, even when I'm uncomfortable, still be able to do that for you? And so... My husband and I, because he's been kind of wanting to do this for a while as well, kind of came together and said, okay, now or never, because I was burning out at work. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I was completely burning out yeah. at work. There was lots of toxicity, dehumanizing approaches, lots mm. of just a lot of stuff. And I was I, actually, one of my roles was director yeah. of HR and I saw it firsthand. And mm. I thought, why can't we just lean into one another and try to understand rather than, why can't we just kind of change the way that we work. And so I left my organization to to start this business. And the podcast is kind of an offshoot of it. Um, It is about having 
part of it is about like how self-love and self-compassion help us really live our best lives. But there are other kind of conversations that I've had with people where we talk about leaning into each other. So for example, I had an interview with a person who used to be a member of the KKK. Oh, uh, sorry, not uh, KKK. He was a white supremacist. Sorry, he was into white still. supremacy. Uh, right. Tomato, right. tomato. Tomato, right. tomato, tomato. tomato, tomato. <laughs> splitting well, splitting so hairs there. Like <laughs> from, um, so he was a member of white supremacy in Canada. And wow. Tried a, 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 a kind of a, an experience with a Jewish therapist where he experienced compassion, unconditional compassion from a Jewish therapist that he saw in the unconditional love of his children Aww. led him to understand that his ways were not the right ways. And so he now works to, to bring greater compassion into this kind of race relations. And he speaks right. about yeah. it from a person who was involved with white supremacy. I've had a conversation with a woman who chose to forgive the young people that killed her son oh, because those wow. kids were traumatized. And so these are, are it takes I, a lot I, of compassion. Hard. Yeah, that's about hard. Leaning into each other, but just so yeah. that we're just clear, you can't lean in without leaning into yourself first. You got to meet mm. your own needs, yeah. put your own oxygen mask on, be loving and compassionate to yourself, and from that space, you can give people to their overflow. On, you know, from your overflow to them. Mm. Um, so the podcast is one thing that we offer for free, like it's available for people. I also, I also do coaching. So one-on-one coaching for people, as does my husband. And so we offer coaching and we also offer group things. In my journey of being a business person, an entrepreneur, uh, and going back to that manifesting thing, mm-hmm. for the first two years of my business, nothing was happening, like nothing. And so it was very hard for me because I was always an achiever. I'd been working since I was 13. As you said, I have multiple degrees. I'd managed millions of dollars in business in the not-for-profit world and in, you know, the public sector. And so you go from there making nothing, like zero, not seeing anything and yourself. And then we're like manifesting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know what to do. I'm getting the thing. I feel like a millionaire, Uh, right? (laughs) And And so I faced a dilemma. I faced a dilemma of, do I go back to work mm-hmm. or do I just stick it out? And what happens with these bills? And I will say that when you do have faith, every single time yes. the universe has come into place and has given us something for us to continue. But I think yes. I still needed that security because I was afraid. I'm like, well, what if it doesn't come next month? Right. Mm-hmm. My wife is so, there. But the thing is, my husband never pushed me, but the reason why I'm raising this story is because it goes to my book, right? Mm-hmm. I was telling mm-hmm. him how afraid I was and how it wasn't working. And, you know, like I've been normally very successful and now I'm not seeing anything. Right. And so he said to me, well, why don't you just go get a job then if you're that worried, right? He said, don't worry about it. It's going to work yeah, out. Yeah. It always does. But if you're that worried, yeah. go get a job. Yeah. And so and <laughs> the thought of our going back into the workplace it's actually you. just mm-hmm. not. And the reason being is because oh. I don't feel the way that we work is natural. Huh? It's not yeah. in the line mm-hmm. of who we are. It's not. It's, it's not. not. It's not how we want to create. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of, like, the number of people are stuck in jobs that it's not their passion. When you do your passion, I think you were talking about this, Neil. When you are in your passion, it doesn't feel like work. You're yeah. just doing, you're just being, you're just, you're, it's in the joy. Fun. And so... Yeah, the fun. And so I, I really took a look at what work looks like for us and the right. consciousness behind right. why we work the way that we do. And there's a big division between the old workplace and the new generation of young people who are really oh, focused yeah. on and look, older generation called of snowflakes and they don't want to work. But the truth of the matter is the new generation yeah. understand manifestation. They understand alignment. They understand vibration more. They want to try different things. Social media is helping big time. They want to do passive income. And so there's this disconnect. And the big disconnect that I saw, even for myself in terms of why we work the way that we do, also had to do with self-love and self-compassion, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. wondered if the, we, the, we feel we have to earn. We let people our run kids, out of us, yeah. Earn the love of <laughs> our parents. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. so, so what? So what I decided to do was I'm going to choose to trust, but I'm going to take this time 
to go on my own journey. And I realized I had to change my relationship with how I perceive work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And really, that's what kind of led to my book, Reimagining, Reimagining Work. But it's yeah. very yeah. nice. It's about, really, it's about changing nice. our perspective and understanding that we're worthy to live our dreams. So like just yesterday, I was, I was playing volleyball with a good friend of mine and he, he brought his daughter to play volleyball and he was saying that his daughter wants to make the high school team. So I was like, okay, I'd be happy to work with her. Just bring her in on Tuesday nights. I help her learn. Plus, you know, he gets to play with her, have fun. And then he said to me, right? So he says to me, well, I only brought her because this was my day off. Tuesday is my late day at work. And I said, so? Just change your day, right? <laughs> so, and yeah. he was like, "Well, what right. am I going to tell him? I need to switch so I can play volleyball with my daughter." And he laughed, right? And I looked at him. I was like, "Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what you say, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? I mean, it, we need to start looking at like family time, personal time as the priority, yeah. and then work is the means to having that, right? Yes. I mean, am I wrong? Yeah. Or that's a good point. We yeah. work. We work to live. We, we don't live. Separated our personal lives yes. from yeah. our workplace, yeah. and this is the, the headache from. Some of the older generations, right? Like mm-hmm. our great grandparents had to be at war. Yeah. They didn't get to mm-hmm. choose to live their dreams, mm-hmm. right? Like they had to just, you just suck it I up and there's not a lot of emotional regulation, not a lot of compassion. And so we kind of learn these beliefs that are so outdated. And because we believe them, we've sort of created this work environment where work is over here in this little box and it may or may not be, do something that we like. And our personal time is separate. And then we, you know, take time out of the year to go on a vacation, which is usually time away from work. But some people that I know are miserable the majority of the year, but don't want to let go Mm -hmm. of the four, five, six weeks vacation. And I'm like, well, you're miserable most of the year. What's Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) To me, it doesn't compute. Right. of life. Right now with COVID, it's a good time to reimagine, mm-hmm. right? Because of great resignation, and I'm sorry, but AI, with AI in the... <laughs> has anybody been to the Home Depot lately or the Lowe's? Uh, I've been to Home Depot recently, yeah. Primarily yeah. with means. Yeah, that's right. They don't even have... Yeah, they don't even have cashiers anymore. Yeah. Right. No more. And so right. on the one hand, you could say, we're going to lose our jobs. Or you could say, okay, now... Go to reimagine what we really want to do and how we really want to do it. Yeah, reimagine. Yeah, live our dreams and allow the AI to do all the things we don't want to do and, and really tap into our joy and our passion and allow yeah. ourselves to really live from that place and create workspaces mm-hmm. that, really, that really reflect that. But so the, one of the things I discovered, which was, you know, not that I want to give the punchline, but it's basically that it was like, in order for me to change how my relationship with work was in the, the workplaces I was attracting and so on, I had to change myself. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really had to change myself. Absolutely. And how yeah. I aligned to things and not reacting out of fear. And so that was really the journey I underwent. Wow. Yeah. So, so it I've got to read, quite a I've got to read your book. We'll I've got to read that book. Cause I mean, that's, that was something that's real valuable. Yes. We're, we're really short on time. We're out of time, but, Gianni, you haven't gotten a chance to ask a question, so I really want you to get in there. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask, with the ongoing pandemic, you did mention it a little bit, but it caused an increase in all of this anxiety and stress amongst people. How do you believe practices like self-compassion and mindfulness can help people during these times? Great question. Yeah, Yeah. That's a great, great question. I think compassion is so important for us to keep going. So our, the reason why we're so afraid with what's happening right now is because our talk is negative. It's very fear-based because we live in a fear-based society, right? If you look at, but the society is a reflection of us, right? And so all of this negative messaging, all of this fear are things we give our energy and attention to. We spent a lot of our time on our fears rather than using that same energy and attention on what we want to create. One of the things I talk sure. in the book, and I've heard other people say this, is that energy is currency. And if you actually mm. want to know, like, it, and it comes from attention, what you place your attention on is where you place your energy, as Dr. Joe says, right? And yeah. that's what you feed. So that's why if you look right now at the marketing, what are they buying? Mm. Your time, your yeah. attention, mm. right? All those ads, all those things, you, because they understand 
that your attention and your energy matters. And so we spend a lot of our time focusing on the things we fear rather than using that to focus on the things we want to create. And so now is the time, though it seems like a time of upheaval, it is the perfect time to really start to say, but in how self-love and self-compassion come in is that it's not using that critical voice when Mm. we don't get it right. It's it's a journey, right? There's many times when I don't get things right. So if I treat myself with harshness during those moments, I will not keep moving forward. For far too long, we have criticized ourselves into into action. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's about treating yeah. ourselves with kindness. And people don't think that compassion is a great motivator. It is. Because it, it is. keeps you in the game mm-hmm. when you want to give up. I like that. But yeah. yeah I like that. All right. That's true. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are out of time. But make sure you grab her book, Reimagining Work. And I, if yes. you could, just... Tell people where they can find you and any final thoughts that you have. People can find me at www.maitriventre.com. That's mytreecenter.com. And I'm also on various social media. I'm on primarily on TikTok, although I do have a Instagram account. I'm on TikTok and Clapper. And yeah, and I just want to say thank you. This has been such an amazing conversation. You guys are so joyful. (laughs) Thank you. We enjoyed having you. you. Reimagining work, grab her book. Make sure you check out her website. It's in our description. So make sure, (laughs) Giselle, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Giselle. Bye bye. Wow. Love and compassion. Love. We love some motivator. Yeah, you got to love yourself. That's the one thing I learned a long time ago. If you don't yeah. love yourself, you really can't love anybody else. So you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a great message. I mean, you know, someone whose children were killed by somebody, that takes a lot of compassion. Wow. To yeah. kind of like forgive that. Cause I I don't think I don't know if I have that much compassion. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but she's but the context was they were young, they they were young young kids. kids. She yeah. So she was able to practice compassion on account of the fact that these kids were victims of trauma. I mean, as an adult, yeah. you have the ability to overcome trauma. So if there's still that, yeah, yeah, I get what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. Understand the context. The and I love the subtle, I mean, I love subtle, it subtleties. I've yeah. got to start rethinking, you know, and that's, that's part of what, you know, we have to start rethinking about how we see the world and how we see each other and how we see ourselves. So, I've, all right. Yoga is a great way to get in touch with that, man. You know, <laughs> yes, I love yoga. I love yoga. My wife has been trying so hard. Yoga, I've done yoga, but it's, it's, uh, Amazing. anyway, all right, let's get to some of these hot topics. We're so late. We're <laughs> <trying> to... <laughs> nice shenanigans. All right. All right. So, this story set social media on fire. On Reddit, a white father shared a story. He said for years he doubted his son was actually his. Because he didn't look white enough. And he's married to a black woman. They have two kids, a girl and a boy. He always had doubts the child was his because, quote, he doesn't look half white. He also said that when his younger daughter was born, she looked more like him with blue eyes and her other white features. And that made him doubt his son even more. He wrote, I never realized how powerful it is to know a child is yours. I bonded with her easier because it wasn't the question of paternity dangling over our heads. Mm-hmm. Insane, insane. So he got a secret paternity test, which ultimately confirmed his son was indeed his. And when he confessed to his wife, telling her how he'd been treating his son differently, she was livid. They accused him of being a racist and said that he made their son feel unloved for years for no reason. The story sparked a lot of debate, with many people accused the father of being a racist and criticizing him for letting his doubts affect how he treated his son. So what you think? Is he racist? Or was this an acceptable mistake? Start with Gianni. It's definitely not an acceptable mistake. Okay. That is not it. Mm-hmm. If your child came out at any color, um, okay, because I have two mindsets about this. To play yeah. devil's advocate, 
if you're a fair colored man, if you're a white man, and your baby comes out darker. Did you say fair colored? <laughs> That's new. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why that came. Why, why that worked. <laughs> but if you're if you're white, if you're Robbie, a lighter you're colored, fair colored man. <laughs> That's fair. I'm why sorry. Go ahead, Gianni. Just go ahead, go ahead, Gianni. Go ahead. Who knows? But um, I can understand why you would question your sun coming out darker if you don't know genetics if you don't know how things play out but if you do know then you know that babies come out darker you can have two light-skinned parents two dark-skinned parents and the babies be different color mm -hmm. so that's kind of like a known biological thing but like i said to play devil's advocate i don't think that it was racist i keep thinking you guys are using the same the wrong word like even okay. the article mm -hmm. i think it's colorist but I don't think it's racist because technically he never said that he hated the child because of this child's skin tone. He was just questioning if the child was his. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't really see racism. Right. I don't see it. You guys are going to have to convince me. All right, Robbie. Why do men do this kind of stuff? Because there are women who lie about this kind of stuff. You know, I know what it's like to look at your child and to not really see your features and to have that seed of doubt. I know yeah. what it's like to have those suspicions be later confirmed. So later confirmed. Wait. Well, yeah. Are you just because... dropping a bomb on us? Wait a minute. <laughs> You're just going I'm not going to no. I I have one child <laughs> that is biologically mine and I have one that was sired by a different donor. I didn't oh, a different donor years of age. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so you are dropping That's a bomb true. on me, at least, because I didn't know that. Yeah, we didn't know that. <laughs> I understand where that seed of doubt can linger and where it can live uh -huh. and it can eat away at you. It can change how you interact with that child. And this isn't a colorist thing. This isn't a racist thing. It's, yeah. it's doubt. It's detachment. It's fear-based. So... If you have trust issues with your partner, that's a thing. It should have been a conversation rather yep. than a secret test. And be honest about your feelings. Because, you know, I don't, as Johnny mentioned, I'm fair colored. So, I mean, I know how to make <laughs> pink babies, right? Fair colored man. Right? Why did I say fair? I'm a fair colored man. Fair skinned man. But that's it. Like, my kids are biracial. And, you know, yeah. that was a new experience, too, because one is a little bit darker than the other. But when that's not part of your social fabric i don't know what their background is mm -hmm. but when that's not part right. of your social fabric when it's not part of the conversation then i have to ask now with my melanin rich friends is that a conversation that you and your friends have had or someone is i'm thinking someone who's much darker skin than you comes out and says man that can't be my baby look how light skinned it is. i got a perfect example so i had a friend that went through something very similar he thought yeah. his wife might have been stepping out on him and his daughter didn't look quite as much like him as his other kids. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. kind of like, and I don't know. I agreed. I was like, I get it. You know, <laughs> now, and now this wasn't a, like I say, it wasn't a white black thing. It was a fair skin, dark skin thing. I mean, fair skin. You yeah. got me saying fair skin now. Fair skin is right. Light skin, it's dark skin. <laughs> but, you know so i was that guy but to be honest it was more about the features like the striking features eye shape That's nose mouth than it was more about the actual features. light or dark or anything like that i mean is it racist or is it any mistake you know it's a tough call though but it's I mean, on one hand you know he was clearly searching specifically for white features because he said that right so blue oh, hair okay. i mean blue hair blue <laughs> eyes blonde hair those type of features. But the thing is, I don't know. It's a thin line because he was looking for things like him, you know, yeah. that identified. And that was the same thing. We were looking, you know, does it have the same nose as, you know, does he have. But he is his oh, father. So <laughs> he, if he's his father, like any father would look at their kid and be like, oh, does he have my yeah. eyes? Does he have his mom's lips? Like, yeah. so that's natural. But I do think him treating his son differently is whack. Like, I'm sorry, that's not, I don't care if you did have doubts, that's whack. That's a, well, that's a, I, I agree with child. Robbie. What I do agree with Robbie is that you don't take it out on the kid. You kind of yeah, bring no, it up. You have this conversation. Totally if you have doubts, if there are doubts, you talk to the mom. 
yeah. everyone's doubts early on, you say, hey, look, you know, because this is about trust. Hey, look, I need yeah. to know, is this my kid or not? And, and if, if it's he not had those doubts, like that, even if he like would that. have had that conversation, he probably would have gone with the paternity test also, because I know people yeah. who have done secret DNA tests where, you know what, this kid might be mine. Here's a snippet of hair. What? That's a, that's a conversation? What? It's horrible. Yeah. That's it's the worst to find out it was his kid. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it was his kid and he's been treating this kid however bad he's been. He didn't, he didn't specify how bad he was treating. He just treated him differently. Like obviously, no, showing that, more love. if you doubt, if he doubts the paternity, then there's a sense of detachment there, and that manifests mm-hmm. itself in the relationship. The kid feels that. The kid's been feeling that mm-hmm. his whole what he's I was a five year old kid and a three year old daughter. I think it was. He's been feeling that his oh, whole yeah. life. So yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, but and then there's that awkward feeling the kid feels like his father's a white man and he's a mixed kid who can be, cons- I don't know what his skin tone is, but he could probably be considered black by out onlookers. So, mm. I mean, I would just feel uncomfortable with that because it's like, is the father threatened by the son if he becomes a certain age? I just feel like I'm glad that they, he was able to get the paternity test, but like Robin, you said that it would have been better had they communicated properly so that it could have been done without secrecy and yeah. disrespect. Yeah. Yeah. He needed to have that conversation a long, long time ago. Long All right. Time. Is this truth, truth, lies, shenanigans? A bunch Straight of up shenanigans, man. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't treat kids bad. <laughs> right. That's the thing. It, just kids, man. You can't, you can't do that. You can't. Even if don't you're not that. sure or whatever care. it is, you know, you can't do it. All right, Robbie. Let's talk about these robots. Yeah. All right. Robots. So a team of researchers at the Max Planck University in Munich designed a milli robot that's centimeter by two centimeters by 0.2 millimeters. Now, the video that's running side by side is just going to give you an idea of some of the capabilities of these tiny little medical robots. Now, interesting. Yeah. So they what they did is they created them with the design of the pangolin so that it can get around. They can use non-magnetic they can use magnetic stimuli they can use heat sources to make it move around that's the pangolin right there so you can see that they've got these wonderful little shells and they can roll around and that's the, the tiny little robots like i was saying it's like little scales you know? yeah gross. so what it's doing gross. in this part of the video it's rolling around and what it's doing is it's actually delivering a medical payload to the epicenter of an infection. That little blue strip nice. is the medication. In this nice. video, if this were, say, the small intestine, an mm-hmm. area that's very difficult to access, what, can, what they can do is they can place these tiny little robots in a specific area. And by using RF transmissions, they can get it to heat up to 70 degrees Celsius or 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Mm-hmm. Distances of five centimeters in less than thirty seconds. Mm. So they can so they can mitigate s- bleeding. They can work on tissue phantom hyperthermia. All kinds of really neat things. So complex. Now, right? It's, I feel like medical robotics and science fiction are kind of getting pretty close. So my yeah. question to you, my friends, is: Would you consent? To having automated robots performing medical procedures on you or a loved one? Um, let me let me start. Uh, so yeah, you, start. I mean, you know, I've always said I want to live to 150. So yeah. I'm all about <laughs> incorporating that. technology into my body to make that happen. And I love the idea of <laughs> nanobots, right? That's that's like fascinated me. But I don't know about this one yeah. because you know I got to put things in perspective too. So one, this is really rudimentary. I know it's based on the Pangolin, which is cool, but the devices yeah. look like a bunch of little tiny razor blades rolling around inside you and stuff. And you know, plus I don't know. We're calling, we're, we're calling these we're calling these things robots. Simple. We're calling these things robots, but they're not really robots in the sense that they're not autonomous. They can't execute programmed actions. They can't detect right, the but... issue and go fix it. A human has to move it around using magic. They have to be direct. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, Absolutely. but that's good. So it's not really robots in your bodies. It's like the equivalent of like taking a little ball on the top of a, a table and under the <laughs> table, you're moving around with magnets. That's basically what we're talking about, right? 
Just it's literally the that. The uniqueness <laughs> is that it's, it's, it's like based on the pangolin with the scales That's and the so stuff funny. like that. But, you know, yeah. it, and the other thing is they're designed to be biodegradable. So what does that really mean? You know, this is metal. How does it break down? And no, they what? are they, they are non-metallic. They are using some soft full publication, but yeah, they're using soft, soft materials. They're not using metal. All right. But yeah, then what, what happens when it breaks down and your body absorbs these metal-like materials? And, you know, well, and then the other mean, thing if is... Your, if it's in your small or large intestine, we know what's going to happen. Well, yeah, you're going to shit. I was going to say that. That's a good point. Unless okay. on the outside, though. Unless it's on the outside of your intestine. But anyway, I'm not feeling this one. I'm all in for anything to help me live longer, be healthier, and... I, I gotta wait till one. they. I gotta wait till they come out with some real nanobots and. <laughs> but don't get me wrong. If this procedure was the one thing to save my life, I'm all in. <laughs> Whatever, <I'm good. laughs> which it could be. Honestly, <laughs> what do you think? What do you That's think, Johnny? Survival imperative. I just. I think it's funny that we still have to talk about whether robotics in technology in medicine is ethical or if it's right because we already have it and we've been having it. It's just like. We've kind of like just been inching and getting like little milestones when it comes to technology. But now mm. that we're like, we actually have something that can go in and do complex things and go into places that we normally can't go into. It's just like, is that right? So um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have, I don't think I necessarily have an issue with the robots working on us. I just don't want us to really be like those sci-fi movies or like those movies where we really completely lose human contact and human involvement. And I'm, I'm fine with robot. that. Whatever. I, I can don't be, want that. As long as my Neil, brain is Neil here, I'm good. Nice. I'll be, I'll be nanobots. Nice. You give me nanobots. Give me <laughs> Android hands. I don't even care. You know, <laughs> take my no. knees away, replace those knees. Get whatever you got to do. I want bionics. Neo. Give me bionics. Have Android, whatever you need to do. Keep, keep I me see that. going. No, Neo, I can't. I can't do that. I think because it's like when we're when I think of humanity and humans, I think of God, and when I think of robots, I think of like the enemy. Like I think the opposite because I think that, like you guys said, robots could actually take over, and I think that's a reality that we don't think. We think it's funny. AI is going like to take over. Yes, no doubt. AI is going to take over, yeah, and it's going to I need to so. heart. It's going to need to be mobile. So sure. then robotics comes into play. It's going, yeah, it's going to. You're happen. right. You're right. And it'll you're control right, me. First Fine. I'm okay. I'm still alive. It... I'll be part of the hive. Yeah. The hive mind. <laughs> the hive mind. Just add me. <laughs> I'll be a Borg. Like you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> I will resist. There he is. All right. Last fifteen seconds. No, I don't. To me, this is really neat because it is, like Neo said, I mean, these aren't automated robots, but we're getting closer Closer. with each new development. We get one step closer to developing it. So, you know, just using incorporating nature's designs into our machinery is nothing new. Now we have access to materials and the ability to manipulate them in manners that we just never could before, like the 3D printing and whatnot. So I think oh, yeah. this is yeah. an exciting dawn as far as internal medication is concerned. If I had, you know, any lesions that were hard to access, I would definitely be open to this kind of therapeutic. Oh, heck yeah. I, yeah, I can't Utilize. lie. I'd be open to it. I need it. Need it to be a little further along before I get into it. Jose says I would and, totally be open to this. It's super cool, amazing what we can achieve with technology. It is right? cool what we can achieve. It is very cool. All right. Is this truth? Lies, shenanigans. This is some truth. Some cool truth. Yeah. I mean, it's good. You know, I just, I (laughs) need it to be. It's it's true, (laughs) but I need to get a little further along. They're going a little slow for me. I I, I hear you on this moving step by step. They need to speed it up. He wants they only to got... have flying cars. Hey, look, you know, my life. Cars already. You know, my, (laughs) you know, when you start looking at like, average lifespan i only got like 25 more years if i'm lucky so <laughs> right what average you lifespan. Saying, that's if you look at average life i just said i have 25 it. more years what do you think i'm worried? i'm not gonna average lifespan 95. is 70 what oh 
You know, you know, children oh die God. too, right? So you got to average it out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an average lifespan. Uh, 75 is young. <laughs> 95. That's that's if you're whew, you're really lucky if you make it to 90, 95. All right. I so think you'll US make it Yeah. So the average the average lifespan for males in the U.S. is 77. Oh, they go up. And Canada's eighty-one point some. Good oh, lord! No. I need so See, gonna, Canada's always. So you're gonna live longer than me. That, that's not. That's not right. I need to move. I hope I think so. It, you know, go, I think it has to do with Canada. the cold air. I honestly think it has to do with the colder air because preserves think, you. Mm-hmm. No, I think it does. <laughs> Cryogenesis. I, I'm telling you because <laughs> oh my God. people that live the it's longest tend the to be in cold areas. Air. I'm telling you. That's weird. Because that cold I never air thought about is that. very rejuvenating. Yeah, very rejuvenated. What? Wow. Well, guys, we're we're we're, I know we started a little bit late, but we're definitely low on time. So, Gianni, uh, we're going to make this a very quick fire question. So, Gianni, let's go ahead and do it real quick. Yes. So I'm sure you guys have heard about the missing submersible called the Titan that was set to explore the Titanic boarding five people. Well, we know that the trip went from rescue to recovery after finding pieces of that submersible and discovering that an implosion actually occurred. Mm. Um, so this vessel lost contact with the mothership about an hour and 45 minutes into their mission or into its dive rather. And it didn't surface as it was expected, which started this whole search from the jump. So from the details, we know the trip provider ocean gate expeditions, the company is facing a series of mechanical problems and even workers from that company mentioned that they felt it wasn't safe because of previous issues mm-hmm. that the Titan had. My question to you guys is, should the deaths of the five passengers aboard the submersible be seen as an accident in a high-risk adventure, or does the responsibility actually lie within the organizers of the company to ensure that their customers are safe, basically? I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's it's definitely a high-risk adventure. I mean, (laughs) these are thrill seekers. These are thrill seekers. I mean, one of the guys was on the, the spacecraft that Bezos went up. I mean, they're, they're trying. Oh, yeah. I read about him. So, yeah, so, I read about him. And then, and then they that put in the waivers. They put in their waivers a bunch of times that, hey, this is your potential to die. On top of that, there were previous people that said that, hey, this thing is dangerous. You shouldn't go on it. I even think I read that a, few, a couple of the people who were on it had gotten the warnings that they probably shouldn't go on it. So, I don't know. These yeah. are thrill I mean, seekers. It, it doesn't feel the same as when I saw the shuttles you know, you, you several decades ago yeah, no. when those went up because those people were putting their lives online for scientific exploration and things like that. These guys were going out to have fun. It's no different than, you know, being on some ATVs, doing wheelies and stuff like that. And something happens to you. Eh, yeah, I feel bad for you, but sometimes you earn it. You know, I don't know. What do you think, Rob? It was there. Well, let me preface my comments by saying, like, we need to approach the, these types of incidents with yes. empathy and let me reiterate. Yeah, let, let me let me yeah. mirror what you're saying, Rob, because yes, although I not shedding a tear, I do feel for the families that are left behind. Of course, absolutely. Of course. And that being said, I mean, those who participate in high risk activities acknowledge the potential for dangers when they sign up. It's not nece- They don't necessarily imply that they're actively seeking harm or disaster like when you go to an amusement park you're not signing up for the ride to go off the rails but it is a risk it it is a real risk right the people engaging in these activities are hoping to have a unique experience or they're exploring new frontiers and that's exciting that's what we do as humans so but we usually blindly trust that the operators and organizers have taken the appropriate precautions to ensure our safety at the end of the day the responsibility lies with the operators and the authorities to prioritize the safety of passengers and these types of tourist activities. Because if it's not safe, but then what's the point in waivers? I mean, what's the point in having waivers if that's the case? I mean, they're not enforceable. Why is the responsibility then? Yeah, they should tell them, well, hey, saying, this is really dangerous. I mean, hey, man, whoever greenlit this new- project at their government level and said this is acceptable, you're operating within these safety guidelines right. and parameters is acceptable. Clearly, it wasn't done. So somebody didn't do their job at an official level and people died. All right. I feel like when it comes to the situation, I think the company is at fault because if you think about it, like 
rich people are always going to find something new to do. <laughs> like the, there's always going to be something new. Like they're the, bored. <laughs> like for real, they're bored. They want to go on to the moon. They want to go to Mount Everest. And I'm I mean, I want to go to the moon. Lucky. I still want to go to the moon. I just want to reiterate. Right. I want to do that too. So I get why they want to see the Titanic. But I think that it was the fault of this company. Because if you know that you have a, a risky, if you know that the submersible hasn't passed all the tests that it was supposed to have, have passed or in the past that it was faulty, I would never put it out there. Like I would never even market it, promote it or anything like that because of the risk that it could cause death. Like it's already a submersible alone. You can die because it's a submersible, but, but now the submersible itself and imploded like that's not it was it was operating successfully previously so you know it was working it's kind of like you know the roller coaster worked those three hundred oh during thousand times it was it was that one time that it popped up okay uh, but see that's the thing really maybe it didn't go out that many when times you, when you defy when you defy the physics question. to this level when you're going to space that, when you're going deep sea death it's yeah. a very real eventuality, and you have to accept that. And unfortunately, it played out that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's true. That's true. Truth, lies, shenanigans. Is this truth, lies, or shenanigans? Yeah. There are uh, shenanigans. The I'm going with shenanigans story. on this one. This is I. I want to say truth, but this is shenanigans. <laughs> I was like, this is the truth. I feel not um, truth, but uh, not so bad. All right. It's it's true, but shenanigans afoot. Absolutely. Let's get our game All right. Okay. Get your answers right. <laughs> Make sure you get your answers right. All right. It's the last week of Pride Ooh. Month, so I figured we'd celebrate with some Pride Month trivia. We'll go around the horn. Whoever gets the most correct answers gets the final thought for the show. Let's get started. We're starting with Gianni. All right. Okay. Gianni. What event is widely seen as marking the beginning of the modern gay rights movement? Is that the Stonewall Riots, the first gay liberation day, or the AIDS crisis? Modern gay rights movement. I don't remember them rioting. The AIDS crisis? The AIDS crisis. I am certain I love you, that Johnny. is incorrect. Stonewall riots. <laughs> Yes, that the correct answer is the Stonewall Rise. Stonewall Uprising began in the early morning of June 29th, 1969, after police raided a bar called the Stonewall Inn that catered to the most marginalized of the city's queer community. Never heard of it. Wow. Horrible. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it came up during last year's trivia, Johnny. Actually, I think it did. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Because it's it's a it's a moment. If it wasn't this, if it was last year, it was a year before, I'm sure. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie, where did a similar event take place in San Francisco three years earlier? The Purple Pickle, the Stud, or Gene's Compton Cafeteria? Gene Gene Compton's Cafeteria, sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Uh, Purple Pickle, the Stud, or Gene Compton's Cafeteria? Not the stud. You know what? So I, I got to go with the purple pickle. The it's purple hilarious. pickle. You got it. <laughs> that that got is it. funny. That is incorrect. I should have gone with my gut. Gene Compton. Uh, <laughs> That's the more sensible name. Yeah. Gene right? Compton's cafeteria is one of the few places in San Francisco where transgender women could openly congregate in 1966. Oh, wow. These women fought mm-hmm. back and rioted when following ongoing police harassment, an officer attempted to arrest one of them. No idea. Wow. New information. I never knew that. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can get one right. When was the first gay pride parade held in San Francisco? Good. 1975, 1965, or 1970? I'm going to go with first the gay pride furthest date out. 1965 70. as a guess. 1965. That is incorrect. Mm. It was 1970. Long answer. Uh, wow. So it wouldn't become <laughs> an annual like tradition until 1972. The first parade was in 1970 when a small group of transgender women marched down Polk Street. This was followed by a gay inn at the Golden Gate Park. Hundreds attended. All right. So we all got one wrong. Wow. So whoever gets the okay, well, I'll we answer each, the next exactly. one. Exactly. We each get to pick one. <laughs> right. So we get to answer the next one. Okay. And let's see who gets it right. 
The original pride flag created in 1978 included three colors that no longer appear on the flag as it exists today. What oh, wow. were they? Pink, gold, and silver. Dark red, turquoise, silver. Pink, turquoise, and indigo. I think it's dark red, turquoise, and silver. I like pink, gold, and silver. <laughs> that's a horrible combo. You said pink, gold, and silver? Is that what you said? Uh, yep. Damn, that's what I was going to say. All right, pink, pink turquoise. turquoise, and indigo. I'll just take whatever's left. Let's see. I think it's pink, gold, and silver. Let's see. Ah, uh, pink, turquoise, and indigo. I get it right. Hey. What? Neo wins the game. Uh, Neo, Neo wins you the finally game. win. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get some shout outs in. Johnny. Shout out to Giselle. I really loved you as a guest because you reminded me of a really important message about compassion and the self-compassion that we that we should have. So thank you. I love that. Robbie. Nice. Ah, special shout out to Lizzie Enders. Happy belated birthday, our oh, friend. Oh, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah, we're missing our Lizzie. I know, Liz. Yeah. But also a shout out to my granddaughter who lost her first tooth this week. And I was fortunate enough to pick her up How from school cute. the same day. And she was just beaming with pride. Oh, she that is tiny little tooth. That is <laughs> All That's right. cute. All right. Shout out to the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People in AACP. They're taking a stand against Governor DeSantis's attempt to erase black history in Florida schools, where yes. you can't even say the word race in schools. NAACP issued a travel advisory for black and brown people not to travel to Florida. So kudos to them. Wow. Stop spending your travel dollars in Florida. Yeah. By DeSantis. Damn DeSantis. Idiot. Oops. The Satans. He's Damn awful. DeSantis. All right. That is officially all the time we have today's show. I'd like to thank you for joining us. We hope you learned something, gained a new perspective, or simply had some laughs with us. Reminder, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time is our new time. We go live each week. And our official podcast episodes will be available on Fridays. But... Next week is the 4th of July holiday in the U.S., so we'll be taking the week off to celebrate. In the meantime, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Pods Network, DZ, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search for Truth, Lies, Shenanigans. And I get the final thought for the show. <laughs> All right. I want to mirror Gianni and Giselle's comments today. Love and yes. compassion. We gotta love each other. But most importantly, and this was a lesson I learned a long, long time ago, you got to love yourself. Love Amen. yourself, people. We're all we got. It's true. We're all we got. All right. Yes. Thank you, Robbie Rock, Gianni, Giselle from the Love and Compassion Podcast. But most importantly, we gotta thank you for listening to our shenanigans each and every week. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy your 4th of July. <laughs>